Welcome to episode 275 of Radar Cop Podcast. I'm your host, Alpha Mike, and you are listening to episode Charlie Lucky, part of the Wise Guy series in season five of Radar Cop Podcast. Also in the news, Joe Biden reveals a $5.8 trillion disaster for Americans. Camilla continues to become the Riddler, part of her salad, uh, her word salad campaign, and Joe Biden reveals, huh, hold on to your hat, the gas plan, but more on that later. As always, you can get in contact with us at RaiderCop.com. That's the audio website where you can hear all our episodes from number one to number 275 and beyond, and RaiderCopNation.com, our official website, where you can get more information about us, future shows, does Kilo Sierra really parties here in the middle. You can find all, all those details on RaiderCopNation.com. If you're looking for gun training and you're down in the South Florida area, AAA Gun Safety, that's the people we recommend highly. Their information is down in the bottom of the show notes. Novice shooter, mid-level, you want to call them. You're in the South Florida area. You won't be disappointed. AAA Gun Safety. Are you in, located in southern New Jersey or the Philadelphia area? Kilo Sierra, that's the guy you need. His information is also down on the bottom of the show notes for firearms training. Or if you need anything in investigative work. And of course, if you need your gun fixed, there's no other gunsmith. Yeah, you can look them up in the yellow pages and probably find one. But I'm talking about the real gunsmith. Pistol Pete Gunsmith down in Miami was the armorer to over 5,000 law enforcement officers in Miami-Dade. Today, he runs Pistol Pete the Gunsmith. I recommend him highly because, you see, when I was active in law enforcement, Pete was my honor, and my life was in his hands. I have no doubt I can recommend him to whoever's listening. Pistol Pete the gunsmith, if you want to send him your gun and you don't live in the South Florida area, it's easy. Call Pistol Pete. His information is down at the bottom of the show notes, and he'll tell you how easy it is to send a gun on the mail. Make sure you get the instructions before you do that. And of course, if you're in the Tampa Bay area and you're looking for gun firearms training, I'm your guy. You can reach me at... RaiderCopNation at Yahoo.com Today's episode 275, Charlie Ruck, Lucky, part of the Wise Guy series. We dive into the mastermind of the commission, the five families, the separation, the order, the corporate organization that exists today. Invented in 1931, still standing strong. We'll talk about Charlie Lucky what he actually created in Costa Nostra and how it still is in effect today. Of course, we're going to have more on the Genovese crime family, which, of course, transferred itself from the Lu- uh, Luciano family to the Genovese family that it is today. 
We'll be covering the Genovese family for the remainder of the year. So sit tight, get the beverage of your choice, because we got a lot to discuss in 2022 on the Genovese crime family. Firearms, my buddies are going to be coming on pretty soon, and we're going to roll out a show, The Range Master, but this time we're going to be talking about some mishaps, some of the most disastrous things that they've seen or potential disasters. And it's not to discourage the listeners, but it's to let the listeners know that you need a good range master to prevent the ultimate disaster on a range. So that's coming soon. And, of course, we're going to have more shows on the daily operations and the Buccaneer series that kind of jumps out and fights up against the left as their stupidity becomes bigger and bigger. So we have one of our segments coming up. Of course, we told you a little highlights of the news, but now it's time for Bozo in the White House. Today in Bozo in the White House news, we cover the Biden administration and Joe Biden has unveiled his horrifying new budget to American citizens everywhere. $5.8 trillion. Themes like we're going to put more police officers out in the street. We're going to have a stronger defense. We're putting money back in the pockets of Americans and we're getting rid of cancer. That's right, folks. The same baloney you've been listening for decades continues under the Joe Biden administration. In actuality, the budget is a complete disaster, but he moves along. The media, of course, always giving Uncle Joe a great financial picture from but we, we got an article that has a little bit of criticism. It is from the Daily Wire. Biden says fiscal responsibility is one of the values of his enormous $5.8 trillion budget proposal. President Joe Biden unveiled his budget for fiscal year 2023 on Monday, claiming that the $5.8 trillion proposal would slash the federal deficit and build a better America. How many people believe that? Budgets are statements of value. And the budget I am releasing today sends a clear message that we value finance, fiscal responsibility, safety, and security at home <laughs> and around the world. Just ask Afghanistan, not today. And the investments needed to continue our equitable growth and build a better America. Biden said, in a statement Monday announcing the plan. Biden claims that the administration was on track. Have they been on track ever? Reducing the federal deficit by more than $1.3 trillion this year, cutting in half the deficiency from last year of the previous administration, of course, Trump did it, and delivering the largest one-year reduction in deficit in U.S. history. Biden added that his budget proposal will continue that pro progress by 
reducing the deficit further and supporting economic growth while ensuring that billionaires and large corporations pay their fair share. And we all know that corporations don't pay taxes, consumers do. But once again, the lies are on. They're just packing on lie after lie. As he continued, Biden also claimed that the proposal makes the investment needed to reduce costs for families include investments to cut the cost of child care and health care, help families pay for other essentials and cancer as we know it, and support our veterans and get all Americans mental health services they need. <laughs> Folks, it's the same BS being trickled out by the people that have been in office forever and a day. Our second story takes us to Camilla, better known as the Riddler, as she continues her word salad. And she was uh, meeting with the Prime Minister of Jamaica. And the story goes on from the the Washington Examiner. Vice President Camilla, the Riddler Harris, tossed up another word salad following a meeting with Prime Minister of Jamaica Wednesday drawing a new round of ridicule from her critics. The White House sit down with the island's nation leader, Andrew Holiness, uh, commemorated commemorated the 60th anniversary of diplomatic ties between the countries and marked the first time in nearly 30 years that a Jamaican leader has visited the White House. I guess you got to wait till one of your own in the White House to show up. Harris, the Riddler, whose father is Jamaican, said she and Holiness Holiness, discussed COVID-19, climate change, and the war in Ukraine. All you had to do was turn on the news if you want to know about the war in Ukraine. It's on 25 hours a day. Uh, For Jamaica, here you go. Ready? Now pay attention to her clear words. This is very important. Camilla the Riddler Harris said, for Jamaica, one of the issues that has been presented as an issue that is economic in the way it's impacted has been the pandemic. We will assist Jamaica in COVID recovery by assisting in terms of the recovery efforts in Jamaica that have been essential, she told reporters after the meeting. As we try to figure out exactly what she said, I think Joe could have said it better. But, nevertheless, our last story in the Bozo in the White House brings us to Joe Biden's gas plan. Hold on to your wallets, folks. Biden, ABC News reports Biden blasts U.S. oil companies in announcing plan to combat gas prices. That's right, Uncle Joe is letting you, leading you on to believe that he is fighting furiously against the oil companies to reduce prices. Even though he himself, on day one, removed all Americans from dependency on foreign gas and oil by blowing up ours. Then, he rewarded Russia, Putin, the enemy, with their own gas line so they can hike up our gas prices. But today, 
Biden blasts U.S. oil companies in announcing a plan to combat the price. ABC News reports attempting to combat what he labels Putin's price hike. President Joe Biden announced a plan on Thursday to release roughly 1 million barrels of oil per day from the nation's Strategic Petroleum Reserve. This is important, folks, over the next six months to reduce energy gas price. So cutting straight to the mustard, and I'm going to have another um, article attached down to the reference section of the show notes from Larry Cutlow, where he really explains what this buffoon is actually doing. So gas prices might go down about a quarter if we're lucky, but he's getting the gas one million barrels a day from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. You see, this petroleum reserve we use in the U.S. for emergencies, you know, real bad situations that happen to the country like going to war. So get ready because the old goof is out by the gas station playing with the matches and our strategic petroleum reserve is about to go up in flames. But it's another successful bozo in the White House segment as the country goes to hell in a handbasket. Episode 275, Charlie Lucky, we dive into the Wise Guy series on uh, season five of Radio Cobb podcast. We're going to talk about the contributions that Charlie Lucky did, Charlie Lucky Luciano in Costa Nostra, that still hold today. So it's time to get the short bus and start episode 275. Ladies and gentlemen, Boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to the main event. Episode 275, Charlie Lucky, Season 5 of Radio Cop Podcast, we explore in the Wise Guy series, Charlie Lucky Luciano. Now, born... Salvatore Lucana, that was his actual name, November 24, 1897, in Sicily, Italy. He would migrate to America, and during this time, as a young lad, he would start and become a member as living in the ghettos of New York City. He would become a member of the Five Points Gang that was run by Paul Kelly was... The guy's name and his real name was Paolo Antonio Vancarelli. But, and that was too difficult, so they just called him Paul Kelly because there's an Irish-looking face, but he was actually Italian. And Luciano started as a young lad in that criminal organization getting his schooling. Down on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, 
the gang, the Five Points gang, had all kinds of members. It wasn't only Italian. You had whites, uh, you had Irish, you had Jews, you had uh, Italians, you had Hispanics. You had all types that were around at that time because they believed you didn't have to have a specific agenda to be a criminal. You know, Charlie Lucky would have four siblings. His uh, a brother, Bartholomew, Giuseppe, Filippa, and Concetia. So two boys and two girls were uh, his siblings. His parents, Antonio Lucana, uh, was uh, a miner in the sulfur mines. And his mother, Rosaline Caporelli, was his mother. Uh, I guess uh, just a housewife. Now, at the time, Charlie Lucky was a part of the Five Points gang. He would meet Vito Genovese and Frank Costello. They were also a part of that gang. And this is interesting. Also part of those uh, gang members would be Meyer Lansky and Bugsy Siegel. These would be legendary individuals that would shape Costa Nostra for many years, including up until today. Now, how he got his education, now he's in that uh, gang, that street gang, Five Points gang, but early on, the Black Hand, the Mafia, whatever you want to call it, would recruit from young gang activity and they would mature into members of those criminal organizations. Today, no different. Gang members will also grow into associates and mob families and possibly even become main members in the future if they're Italian. But Charlie Lucky was a product of this, and but he would learn under a Jewish gangster that would mentor him and make him the boss that he's going to become. The person that would mentor him is Arnold the Brain Rothstein, and he was one of the biggest gamblers in New York City, and he was in Shylocking. He was in so many rackets. He basically showed a lot of people under him how to do the rackets that he was involved in. So that information is important because it shows that Costa Nostra, the Mafia, as we know it today, would gain its roots and its educations from Jewish mobsters, what you might have called the syndicate at that time. And Rothstein would show Luciano the ropes and he would use that wisely. He would rise to power in the late 20s, become influential as mob or black hand organizations were fighting each other. There was a war between two men, Salvatore Maranzano and Joseph, or and Joe the boss, Masseria. Now, they were at war with each other. They were the two major clans at the time. And Charlie Lucky so happened to be a young Turk at the time, pushing in to these uh, attention of these two bosses. And Charlie Lucky would 
devise a plan somewhere along that line prior to Oh, oh, during 1930, 1931, he would uh, plan the demise of both these bosses. You see, Luciano knew that for the Costa Nostra to exist, and they had not named it that at that time, the old guard, the mustache, Pete's, whatever you want to call it, had to disappear. All they would do is have clan against clan and feud over territory and money, but it had no organization to it. Charlie Lucky, being mentored under Rothstein, would learn the value of having structure or an organization to make money. Of course, Charlie Lucky would also become uh, boyhood friends with Meyer Lansky, which also brought a lot of wisdom in the organization of what we know today as Costa Nostra. Now, during this war between Maranzano and Masseria, eventually, Charlie Lucky would first befriend Joe Masseria, tell him he wants to come in with him. He's bringing in the young Turks, and he's getting on the right hand of Joe the Boss. Joe DeBoss sees this as a sure victory because with these young Turks, he could maneuver and get rid of the clan from Maranzano a lot faster. But it doesn't work. And one day in Coney Island, as Charlie Lucky was meeting with Joe DeBoss, he excused himself in a restaurant as he had to use the facilities and go because his teeth were floating and go relieve himself. As he went to the bathroom, gunmen came in and they proceeded to end Joe the Boss Masseria. He lay dyed in on the uh, floor of the pizzeria, causing now a huge vacuum in Masseria's gang. Automatically, Maranzano would become and declared the winner of that war, would absorb Masseria's clan and now there would be one black hand one organization one capo de tutte capi capo captain of all captains and that would be Mazaria Maranzano excuse me and so Salvatore Maranzano uh, being a buff of Roman history started to put things in perspective this is the beginning of the formation of what we know. He would create soldiers or soldiers in the ranks, captains that would supervise the soldiers, an underboss, a boss, and a consigliere that would advise the boss. That would be the structure, and it would start to grow from there. Uh, it was all done based on Roman legions and that kind of philosophy. And he saw himself as the king of kings in organized crime. Well, it wasn't long before Maranzano would plot against uh, Lucky Luciano, Meyer Lansky, and all of them. I mean, they were kind of... He didn't like them too much, so he had no use for the young Turks, and he wanted to get rid of them. 
But before he could do that, he was snitched out. Maranzano was snitched out by Tommy Lucchese, which was close to him at the time. And Lucchese told Luciano, lucky, that they're out to get him. You need to strike and strike first. They set it up. They were going to come in posing as IRS agents and walk into Maranzano's office in Manhattan and basically act as if they were going to conduct an arrest and they would assassinate Maranzano. For the plot, Tommy Lucchese, which was the aide to Maranzano, told Maranzano several days earlier that he had gotten a tip that IRS agents were going to bust his location, that they needed to get double books and hide the real books they had. And it was important, he said to the boss, Maranzano, that we have no guns on, on the property. It's not going to look good when they come for the arrest. Maranzano agreed with young Tommy Lucchese and ordered his men to disarm as they waited for the IRS agents to do the raid. The IRS agents came in disguised as Bugsy Stiegel and some other shooters that Maranzano did not recognize. They walked in and they proceeded to execute him. With Maranzano out of the way, that left Charlie Lucky, now the boss. He had absorbed as a young Turk both organizations and he was on top of the world. Now let's go fast forward to 1929. Meyer Lansky and the syndicate or the Jewish mob had created the National Syndicate Organization in Atlantic City in 1929. The Italians really didn't want to come in. They didn't like the way it was formulated. It kind of did not go well with their secret society. So it was basically related to Luciano. You can do just like we're doing in the National Syndicate, but you can do it as an Italian commission. And that's what he called the commission. He created the five families and the commission would rule on important matters in between families to prevent any future war. It was so successful that it still is today that no Costa Nostra family has ever feuded in a declared war. There have been skirmishes, and we'll discuss those in a second, but never official wars. Now, there have been wars amongst families themselves. The Colombo Wars, the Banana Wars, which were the Banana Wars, they were feuding back and forth. Uh, the Lucchese's, when they had Gas Pipe, was the underboss, and Vic Amusu, and they went crazy and nuts, and they wanted to eliminate anything that was breathing that was interfighting as well. So a lot of these families, uh, Gotti, when he took out Paul Castellano, so these are all inner family wars, but not family against family that was prevalent prior to 1931 with Masseria and Maranzano. So the structure of this organization would also organize the rackets, would organize structure, and would 
also have an official capacity as to when members could be made and not made. Now, every boss was autonomous and they were their own boss. A boss of a family was a boss of a family, as Joe Bonanno stated in his book, A Man of Honor. And the commission could not butt into what that boss was doing with their family. But they were influential when they had to be. But they were very cautious not to interfere because, of course, the pendulum always swings both ways and eventually it would hit them. And, but on some other skirmishes that occurred between one family and another, a, one story is the cigar, Carmine Galante, as he gets out of prison and blasts the uh, cemetery doors of mausoleum doors of Frank Costello. He blasted the doors right off the hinges to let Costa Nostra know that Carmine Galante Lilo, better known as the Cigar, is been released after a 20-year prison sentence, and he's taking control. Quickly took control of the Bonanno crime family, and the Gambino family, while he was in prison, had moved in on a lot of his drug business. So he proceeded to eliminate six to eight Gambino members. Now, of course, this is up in the speculation. Some, well, they killed their own and this and that, but it's all a bunch of bull. Uh, Galante was well-feared, and he was eliminating them left and right. As a result, the commission had to put a hit on him, and we all know what happened to the cigar as he got shot on Nicobaca Avenue, and they put him out of his misery with a cigar in his own mouth, lying dead in a pool of his own blood. So there's an example of one family against another family. But it wasn't official because it was dealing with drugs, so nobody wanted to officially recognize that anything there was official. It was like, no, no, we have nothing to do with that. That kind of thing. So we go into now 1936, and this would be where Luciano would run out of his luck. Appointed boss of the commission, even though he was running the Lucchese family, not the, excuse me, not the Lucchese, Luciano family. There was the Gagolano family. There was the Mangano family. There was the Bonanno family. And there was the Profaci family. That was the original families, 1931. By 1936, Lucky had run out of any luck and got arrested for running a prostitution ring and slammed by uh, Thomas Dewey, the prosecutor in New York, with about 20, 30-year sentence, whatever it was. But it really put Lucky out of commission. He was arrested in 36, and he's pretty much going to stay in prison for 10 years to 1946. Now, somewhere prior to 1946, the United States government reached out to Meyer Lansky because they needed help on the ports of New York during the Second World War. Meyer Lansky, being quick-witted, said, well, the man that can help you is behind prisons. I can arrange what you need as long as I can get him released. They agreed, 
Charlie Lucky gave the order. They controlled the ports. They were looking for Nazis, and everything was safe and secure. 1946, the government lived up to their end of the bargain. They released Lucky, but not the way they thought. he thought he was going to be released, back out to the streets. No, no, no. They deported him right back to his native Italy. He would find his way back tonight. In 1948, he would go to Cuba and set up shop there while his buddy Meyer Lansky ran casinos in Cuba. But it was short-lived, about two or three years before the U.S. government found out that Lucky Luciano was in Cuba operating there, too close to home. They started complaining to the Cuban government he needs to go. The Cuban government led a deaf ear and a blind eye to the situation. And then the U.S. government said, we're not giving you any medical supplies. So they quickly found Lucky Luciano and deported him back to Italy. It was difficult at this point for Lucky to continue holding on to the Luciano family. So he would pretty much, it's said that he turned over the power to Frank Costello, which is true. From 1936 to 1946, Frank Costello would become the acting boss. Of course, at one point or another, uh, Vito Genovese was the underboss, but because of a murder, he had a flee, I think in 1939 or whatever it was, and he fled, he went on the land to Italy to avoid uh, that murder. And so Frank Costello stayed in charge. But now Luciano sees himself out of the country, uh, 1950s, he's in Italy, he's got connections there, but it's so difficult. Remember, there's no Google, there's no texting, there's no instant messaging. Oh my God, what am I going to do to get information? Well, it's easy. You got on a boat and you went from America to Italy. And after a couple of months, you finally met Lucky Luciano, and you would tell him everything that was going on back in America. You would deliver information and give him an envelope and then get back on the boat. So, as you can see, instant messaging was a little slow and a lot difficult for Charlie Lucky to run the family. Messengers would come and go, and he would become more and more disturbed about the things he was hearing. Knowing and understanding he was losing control, he still was getting a huge amounts of money periodically, and he kind of started drifting off. By the 1960s, he started getting a little restless and talking a little foolishness about the possibility of writing a book or doing a movie. 1962, one of uh, the movie producers would come see him in Italy, and the day of the meeting, as it ended, Charlie Lucky would have a heart attack and die. But let's transgress a little bit. When he came out of prison in '46, there was a lot of information that they had done psychiatric uh, evaluations on Charlie Lucky while he was in prison. And a lot of the reports would indicate that he craved action. He was constantly in 
wrapped up in his own feelings. He was reckless. Kind of sounded like he might have been a little bipolar. But, of course, they didn't spell it out like that. But they did say that he had a calmness to him in the middle of all chaos. And that was the script for a perfect leader. Charlie Lucky was somewhat feared in Costa Nostra when it started, our thing. And he was a fair boss. And as a result, Costa Nostra today still bears the elements of what he started. And as a result, that strong foundation continues to lurk in Costa Nostra today. After he died in 1962, his family asked the United States government for permission to bring back Charlie Lucky. He is buried in a cemetery in Queens, St. John's Cemetery. And the mob or the mafia or Costa Nostra has always put him on somewhat of a pedestal, but very quietly. You see, Charlie Lucky never wanted to be boss of bosses, capo de tutti capi. He even told Vito Genovese that. See, Genovese had traveled to Italy to see him once and said, why don't we do a plan? Make me boss, acting boss. I'll run the day-to-day operations, and you can stay here in Italy as the capo de tutti capi, the boss of bosses. And Lucky said no. I don't think so. I don't want to be boss of bosses. I don't like your idea. And Vito, don't tell me that again because it'll make me me very, very angry. You see, Lucky had a temper. What's up next? Well, episode 276, we're going to dive in to the Range Master series where we're going to talk about the mishaps. What in the world could ever happen on a safe, clear, and empty range. Kilo Sierra and Alpha Alpha will be with me, and we'll sit around and we'll talk some good stories, just like we did in our first part, The Range Master. This part is The Range Master, What Can Go Wrong, episode 276. As always, I am your host, Alpha Mike. Continue to pray for yourself because without you, we have nothing. And remember, test everything and hold fast what is good. This is Alpha Mike, and I'm out.